Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. The Director's Cut is now available on Spotify, so please take a second to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Feta Alvarez's new crime drama, The Girl in the Spider's Web. Based on the best-selling novels by David Lagerkrantz and a follow-up to David Fincher's 2011 English-language remake of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the film follows Lisbeth Salander as she hacks a computer program that can access nuclear weapons across the globe. Soon, she and journalist Mikhail Blomqvist find themselves caught in a web of spies, cybercriminals, and corrupt government officials. In addition to The Girl in the Spider's Web, Mr. Alvarez's credits include the short film Ataque de Panico, the horror fantasy Evil Dead, and the cat-and-mouse thriller Don't Breathe. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Alvarez spoke with director Sam Raimi about filming The Girl in the Spider's Web. During their conversation, Mr. Alvarez discusses moving up to a larger budget after his previous films, how operating the camera during certain action scenes helped him to direct, and barbecuing for the crew as a persuasion tactic. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for coming out tonight. I'd like to introduce my good friend, Fede Alvarez. Hey. Our director. Thank you for coming. Thank you for staying. Well, Fetty, the, uh, the movie's awesome. Thank uh, it's you. brilliantly directed, and I think Claire Foy gives the performance, uh, maybe the best performance of her career, I think, <laughs> as Elizabeth. And I love how powerful she was, and yet incredibly vulnerable, you know, broken. And um, I thought it was really rich to find a character that, that uh, engaging and that complex in this, you know, noir action thriller. It was very, very unusual. It's kind of reminds me of uh, Sidney Pollack's thrillers of years ago. But uh, anyways, I thought this story was really smart and sexy and always seemed to keep one step ahead of the audience. And um, it was very complex with all those storylines and characters. To date, your movies, though, have been simpler storylines, although stylistically incredibly complex. Their narratives have been much simpler from Your Evil Dead or even Panic Attack, The Short, or... Um, don't breathe, much smaller cast, simpler storylines. How was it to orchestrate these complex characters and storylines in such a spider's web of uh, storytelling? Um, how was it? Uh, for, first of all, of course, thank you, Sam, for doing this. Um, you know, and I'm giving thrilled. me a career in Hollywood. Uh, Sam gave me my first movie, and and uh, and my and we made two movies together. This is the first time I. We don't make a movie together, which is a shame. But we'll, we we will again. And thank you, of course, GGA, and for for hosting tonight. It's a privilege. It's really amazing to be up up here. Um, how do we do it? I mean, it's it's scale as as I think any director that went from smaller movies to bigger knows, movies knows. Uh, it is not a it's not a relevant term. I think for in terms of film, at least for me, it's um, I realize making Don't Breathe particularly that a, a camera moving down a hallway, a, a tight hallway, may have the same impact and emotional depth uh, visually that a camera moving 
between the builders of New York up a street and on the buildings. I mean, the imagery and what that can create is, is exactly the same. So we tend to believe, well, a camera flying through on top of cars in New York will be bigger than a camera flying at, at, at floor level in a hallway. But visually, what it creates, the depth, the, the shapes are kind of similar. So it doesn't really, it, for the audience, it's the same. The, the scope is the same. So storytelling-wise, even here, the, the, there's more characters and it's a bit more complex. Um, and my other movies, particularly Don't Read, was kind of a tangle of of moments and situations, the character running around different places, and, and it requires an, a script level, a, a kind of same level of complexity of, of the of the moving parts and which part connects with what. And and, and one might be a, a two plot lines like converging in one place, and the other one might be in a smaller movie, it might be a character running through outside the house and the other one inside, and then they meet on the backyard. And, and it's exactly the same in a way. It's just like scale it's, is a relative term, I think, when it comes to the movies. Then, obviously, the handling, the, the making of it, it's, it's different in a way. But hopefully, you know, you have obviously, we have more resources here than we had on the, on the last movie. But, um, but a day of shooting is a day of shooting, I guess, is always kind of a the, the level of complexity of that didn't change, but um, it was it was definitely a challenge. It was a big learning curve for me, like to really go from something like Don't Breed or Evil Dead, which was me running around hallways with a camera, to suddenly going to these landscapes and uh, being outside for the first time, really um, not indoors. It was uh, it was a big challenge, but it was it's for me. It's all I look out of the every movies to learn about the craft of filmmaking, which is something that I, I'm deeply in love with uh, a lot more than even movies itself. It's just a craft of making film and every aspect of it. Um, it's just something I'm I'm so passionate about it and, and on each one of these movies you learn so much just by being exposed to every challenge every day and, and you succeed and you fail and, and you learn and learn and, and that's the bigger the movie I think the more you learn out of the process of doing it. So that that's that was a big takeaway take for me. You mentioned that you're outside now with this one and there's a lot of snow in this picture. A lot of cold settings and I love that mountain environment. I love the locations. They're beautiful. But I'm talking about, I want to talk about the snow. Was that the first snow picture you've shot? Yeah. I had any snow in the other ones? No, no snow. The other ones are all in Michigan and, and we, we choose, you know, not the snow in Michigan. What were your um, new challenges dealing with snow? It's a nightmare. Has anybody worked in snow before? It's a nightmare. It's I know. Because you, you, you step on set and it looks beautiful because the snow is pristine, right? It's like it's just white, beautiful carpet. No one has ever stepped on it. You make one take, it's over. Bang, it's all... To, to, to st footsteps everywhere and the reset time takes forever like you cannot take back and you do, you never manage to take it back to how it is and even when you do then some PA runs to get a coffee and just run through the set and just like boom destroys the whole thing and it happens every time every week some PA someone will just make the mistake or even the director sometimes like the idiot walks in to give some direction and, and you're like oh sorry and you just destroy the whole set it's just it's just really a nightmare like every time there's snow and, and plus the temperatures are freezing beyond like you never i have ever experienced i mean i i never been that bridge in the movie when the bridge goes up that it starts snowing as per script it really needs to start snowing when they reach the bridge and it actually did which means you have to reshoot everything because we did half of the scene with no snow and then suddenly starts snowing and i'm like oh great now i have to reshoot the whole thing and and it's not that 
as you know, in Hollywood, it's not like, don't worry, buddy, you get an extra day. You're just like, well, yeah, it gets 20 minutes. You have to reshoot the whole thing. So you have to go back and do it all again. So, yeah, not doing movies in the snow again, like, in any time soon. Did you have um, materials on set to fake falling snow also? Yeah, yeah, they have the, the snow candles that they call. It's just like this ash they put in a bucket and they and they, they swing it around and then you have this kind of you know very light snow and there's there's a very there's some cg snow but very very little amounts of just snow in the air that's cg but uh yeah there's all sort of crazy things i, I love that i love again part of the craft of filmmaking just love to see the special effects team like creating a million ways to do snow it's it's fascinating i know it's not interesting how they've got so many ways good mechanical effects teams to do snow he's mentioning ash and cgi obviously but some other ones that i've had a chance to work with are when there was a long shot, this snow guy I worked with on a movie called Simple Plan says, oh, I'm not going to use that ash for this. I'm going to use a foam. So they foam in all these cars to make it seem like big banks of yeah. snow. It's really fast. This machine puts it out. Or if it lands on the characters in a close-up, my snow guy would say his name was Dieter Strom from <laughs> Minnesota. He said, no, I'm going to use real ice for this because uh, you want to see it melt on their shoulders. But if it's like a medium shot or a little further back, he uses that ash. Yeah. Or like, I think potato flakes. He was also using Those sort of things. The problem is they always get in the eye and the guy's eyelid in the middle of the close-up, right? So suddenly you're like, you're like, should I cut or just let him finish? I'm never going to use this. He has clearly a piece of ash in his eye. Like it's just, it's just a little bit of a nightmare for sure. Um, speaking of effects, and this is more like a, a makeup effect question. I love when... Mikhail Blumquist comes into that arcade and there's a guy behind the glass and he sees what he thought was a spider tattoo on him. And later in the back room, he shows what the spiders did to him. And he takes off that appliance and it was shocking how you did that. I didn't know, was that, how, how was that done? Makeup effects? It's a combination, yeah. It's, uh, it's based on, on, on reality. On actually, uh, we had a reference of, of, of a man that had, had face cancer and really had cancer aided on his face so he had a prosthetic um that was made out of his son's face that matches his nose um so he he could remove this those two pieces just like that he had a hole in his face um so we so that's that but no but we didn't get that guy to 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 play the role we we just uh, did a combination as as uh, vfx and um and makeup effects so he does have a nose that he removes but then he had a blue nose, and and then the the fantastic CG artists did the rest of just digging the hole and and put everything there. It's a nice moment. It's one of my favorite moments of the movie because I like that kind of stuff. So on set he's on set he's taking off a makeup appliance, and there's blue there. Yeah, there's blue nose, and uh, so once he takes the nose off, I see. You, you know, I mean, this is a few cuts, so it's like three different stages. I think we had to do the scene. Once we're done until one point, he leaves for an hour, and then we, 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 do, we wait around, and we do coverage on the other side. It, it was all this combination of how to, like always, like you have a little, very little amount of time on the day to do a million things. And, um, but, but yeah, it's a combination of makeup and, and visual effects. I was super impressed with the choreography of the action scenes. I had seen you do brilliant action scenes in a much simpler way before, but you really handled all these... Uh, I think there were Swedish police cars and Lisbeth on that really cool motorcycle when she comes roaring out of her building and they're trying to block her and they keep cornering her and she finally heads off that dock and lands on the ice that almost breaks, but <laughs> she keeps going. It was really cool. 
And how did you, um, as a director, choreograph that? Did you, you must have used storyboards. Yes, yes and no, I don't, I don't. maybe I should have, but I, but I, I don't. I do storyboards with, um, just to help the team to have an idea of what I might do on the day, but it's always that what we might do. I, I have learned as through the movies really to, to never really um, lock myself down to a storyboard or, or even uh, let everybody know that that's what we're going to do because then you decide to do something different or then the sun is in a different place. Something has changed. Not the sun will be a different. You know where the sun's going to be, but there's always going to be something that, that you can only tell on the day for me. And 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 uh, on the first movie, I was more like, oh, I wish I could turn around now and, and, and everybody's looking this direction. I'm looking over there thinking... Oh, this will be so much better if I turn around now, but they're gonna hate me. They're gonna kill me. They're gonna riot if I don't. And I, and, and and you go. Then you just do it the way you had planned, and there wasn't a storyboard. Then, then by the second movie, after Evil Dead did great, and and I was like, oh yeah, maybe you know I can do what I want. And then on the second movie, I was a producer on it, so so I was like. Yeah, this is my way or the highway. So, so it wasn't my attitude, but but it, I was closer to to. I really learned to go and when we show up and they and, and we decide to change everything around, like I will do it. Like the one of the best shots on Don't Breed for me, which is when the camera enters the house for the first time, it kind of shows you every piece that's going to play part in the, in the movie. That wasn't planned. There was no one's going to do it like that. It didn't. It wasn't on the script. It was just something that. By lunch, I realized that would be a great way to do it, and and we changed the whole plan. And uh, the, me on my first movie, I would have done it, you know, just out of not uh, because I thought it would be rude. Or, but then by the second one, I'm like, that's all I, my responsibility is to give everybody involved in this movie the best movie I can, and to make everybody that work in the movie can be proud to say like, oh yeah, I work on that one. And um, so so I have learned to kind of let go of those plans and if I have to change everything, to really change it. And you always, you pay the price if, if you, because you don't have more time. No one gives you more time, right? So, yeah. and, I, and I don't go over time really. I, I like to finish in time every day. So much like I, I, in this movie, I probably went over one hour one day. That's it. I really try not to to burn the crew and 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 go over time and and the, the, the only time say if I go over time like I did three times I mean, not over time like I stayed longer is because I'm cooking for the crew I, I did three barbecues for the crew like if I'm from Uruguay we do barbecues and um if and that, I barbecue that, for 120 people three times just myself uh, just fire and meat and and cooking like staying six hours after so I really um th there's a lesson that Rob Tapper your partner uh, told me on the first movie he said Fede you want that crew to root for you that's that's the that's the only advice I can give you he said and and I always been trying to do that to make sure that the crew is on your side and really trying to push on him and this is this is a movie that, that was made really if you take out the fees of producing stuff like that with like 30 million dollars and 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 it I believe it looks bigger than that is because of the will of a crew that really wants to keep pushing and really want to go for the thing so anyways you know I don't do sport storyboards. <laughs> well, I've had your cooking, and um, so when you cook for the crew, is that when they've been good or bad? It doesn't matter because it's pre-scheduled. I think. No, it's when I want them to be good the next week, usually. Okay. When there's a tough week coming. Understood. Yeah. Um, that confidence that you talk about, about recognizing that the light is good and wanting to change the plan, um, does that come from your growing closer collaboration with your director of photography? I know... This is your fourth collaboration with Pedro Luke Brioso. Yeah. And um, does it come from your 
confidence that he will understand and accept these changes like that? That we're growing. Yeah, yeah. We we work very close together. We build. A, we know each other since we're twenty, and and um, and we this is the second movie we made together. We made plenty of things before, and um, so yeah, it doesn't even cross my mind if he's gonna get offended or he's gonna get mad because he does it. He just doesn't. He if he, I mean, he will tell me if he's gonna look like shit, right? If I yeah. go like, what if we just change? He's gonna tell me, and I won't do it. That's I, I'll great. Go like, oh, you're right. And, I mean, I would listen to him for sure and all the things. Um, but he, second, he's, he's enthusiastic SDP. about that himself as well, right? The, when suddenly there's the thrill of like, we changes everything. Oh, what were we doing? And everybody started like, what? And they the start hearing the buzzing of the crow saying like, the fuck are they doing? And you <laughs> just change everything. There's a thrill to that yeah. that you have to really embrace. And, and you know, so people go like, no, no, they, they, they don't know what they do. But but it's not the case. I think after you, you, you do things that you capture in camera that everybody thinks is insane. I think it's the key of what we do, I think, in a way. I mean, there's one, one, there's one shot in a movie, I don't remember, it, like, um, it's, it's the beginning of the third act, and um, she's being taken to this room where they're gonna open that computer, and, uh, and there's a spider on a beam, and the camera is looking at the spider, and then slowly the camera starts dropping, and the spider starts dropping with the camera, and the spider kind of goes behind the beam, and we rock focus, we pull focus to her. That's a real spider. That real spider that was there, and I was, we, someone was there. Like, we got CG, and I was like, "Let's not do the CG spider. Let, let's give the spider a shot." He came all the way here, like she's ready to work. <laughs> let's not fire her just yet. Let's just put the spider there. And my AD was like, "You're crazy. You're just gonna burn through half an hour with your little spider in the camera." And I was like, "I was like, let's just give it a couple shots. It just we can always." And uh, and everybody rolls their eyes. Everybody and because they're they're right to roll their eyes. They're right. It's retarded. Why would I do that? You know, why would I try to get a spider to act and move down? The, it's just never going to work. But I'm like, my, I'm an optimistic, and I'm like, well, let's just do it. Let's just put the spider there and just give it a shot. It's it got to go somewhere. It's just not going to stay there. It's going to go somewhere. Maybe you know, there's like four directions it can go up, down, left, right. It might go down. It's like 25 percent chances we'll get it. And we went there, we, we wait, like, literally five seconds, we're rolling, and the spider started going down, and everybody started booming down, started going down, the spider goes there, we rock focus, great shot, beautiful. I mean, you, you would have planned for that, or would have even ever say to someone in pre-production, well, the spider shot, we're going to do it for real. I'm going to have a spider there, and um, it will take what it will take. Uh, I, you know, you get fired right away <laughs> as the director of the studio finds out that that's how you planned to do it. You will never do it, but on the day... If you can, if you can afford to be look to to make a fool out of yourself by having an idea that that, and even at the end, because the shot, it's not that you watch the shot and you go like, oh my god, masterpiece! Now the movie is great. Like, no, it just, just it doesn't change anything. But it, for a director, I think it's those little pleasures of like find, making those shots work when they come from something that it would never make sense. That give me a lot of joy, at least. Um, because I, that's what I try not to lose on this bigger things. The, this, what got me into this when I was a kid, which was bringing the camera to something and, and try to tell a story with it, right? So um, stuff like that, all that, in, all that it's, it's, it's a thrill for me. It's a thrill. Mm -hmm. And I have learned to not care. If it, if it didn't work, I'm like, well, what do I know? I'm an idiot. That's it. It didn't work. That's it. I'm not, I'm not worried about like, oh, they're going to think. I'm, it's just, I, I'm, I'm over that part now. Maybe, and that's like, I guess it's healthy. It's, it's better for me, creatively at least. I know how meticulously you plan your shots. First, starting with a script, how meticulously you plan the scenes and the dialogue to work like clockwork. And then how you, 
when you do decide to design the shots ahead of time, how well they're designed to work with one another and how well things are set up and therefore pay off. So is it a special thrill for you when you capture something like that on set that you hadn't planned, not that you hadn't planned, but you hoped for like a great performance, but you didn't know for sure till you found it? Is that, a, is that one of the thrills? Yeah, of yeah, for sure. I mean, because I think, it's, it's, and it's been said many times that a lot of the best things in film usually is an accident, something that you couldn't really plan for that. Or there was no way you could have tell an actor to do exactly that. And it just happens. It just happens on the day. So to be, to be, to allow for those accidents to happen, I think is something that, that I'm trying to learn in every movie to, to not restrict the structure of the blocking of the plan to, to, kill the, the the chance for something magical or slightly different or but even uh, in this uh, maybe i went too far with this one but um it's at the end uh, there's you know like she asked the whole the whole deal of the movie at least for me was i, I never cared about that computer it was it was all about the guilt trip of lisbeth and knowing that camilla eventually was going to confront her with what happened in the past and deep down inside she knows that it's not about the fact that she ran away she was just a kid you know she cannot blame her for that but she knew that it was because she never went back or she even as an adult she 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 kind of gave up on her and never made the decision to go back and um but the the, the so the big question that camilla asked camilla asked is like why 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 do you save everybody but me and on the script it says something different the answer of of, of claire was different and and on the day, Claire was like, "I don't think I will say that. I it just, I you know, I'll I'll say that I couldn't, and that would be it, right?" So I'm okay. You know, you're freezing to death on this cliff. Like actors always choose the most dramatic moment to tell you, and I'm gonna say the line because I, I learned. I didn't know this. I learned it the bad way on this one. It is brilliant, actually. The really good actors know how to do it, and I'm sure you know this. If they tell me in pre because I do like, like I'm naive and and and, and inexperienced on. In pre-production, I sit with the actor. I go like, "Here's the script." We go through all the thing, and I'm going like, "Is there any line you don't want to say? Is there anything here you disagree, like really disagree with it? Let's just figure it out now." Great. And usually, in the good ones, I learn this one. They go like, "No, I think it's brilliant. It's just, <laughs> I love it." Little did I know that they do it because obviously in that moment they have no leverage. <laughs> if they tell me I don't want to say that line, I'm gonna go like, "Well." That line, let me tell you about that line. And I go into some story about how brilliantly we came up with that line with a writer or Donna. So, so and the actor cannot say, and won't be able to do anything more than say, I just, well, okay, that's that. And, and you haven't started shooting the movie yet, so you can fire them. <laughs> you can go, well, if you don't like this, well, maybe we shouldn't make this movie together, you can fire them. So they don't say anything pre-production. <laughs> they wait until you're in the cliff, freezing to death. And you're like running out of time, and I want to get the sun right there when it's like, and now, and I go like, I don't think I'll say that line. And now, and at that point, they just have you by the balls. There's nothing you can do. Just suddenly hold the leverage you have in pre-production where you can just fire there, but do whatever you want. At that point, you're at their mercy, right? Which is beautiful. And, and I love it. And Claire, it's not that she does that. She's a brilliant actress. She was great to work with. It's just they're really good at how to get you there. So anyways, but so, so she gets to the point and she's like, I'm not going to say that line. I agree with her logic, totally agree with her logic of why not, and she had a point. And, uh, and I'm like... Um, she says, I'm just going to say I couldn't. I couldn't go back. And so I, I go to the other actor. That's what I do. I just go to the other actor. Like, hey, thank you. Just go to the other actor. I go, like, okay, when she doesn't want to tell you why, just keep asking her. Why? 
She's going to say, I couldn't. And you're just going to ask her why. And I got to keep rolling until she give you an answer. So, 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 so we did that. And, and, and Sylvia Hooks, who plays Camilla, goes like, why? She was like, I couldn't. And, and she gets very emotional. And, and she started getting very emotional. And, and, and Camilla started pressing her like, I need to know why. It's not in the way we cut all the long asking, asking, asking. Eventually, Claire realized, fuck, I have to give an answer here because Fed is not going to cut. And she keeps asking me why. I need to find it in myself. Why? It's not script. I don't want to say what the script says. So, I, you know, she has to find something. And she finds something in her guts, which I think is way better than the script, which is what she says. She says, you chose him, which uh, you know, it was a more visceral uh, answer, which was, you know, as kids, you chose him. I was alone. You two were together. Whatever was this sick, uh, twisted relationship you had, you were together. You had yourself. I, I had no, no one. I was lonely. I was, and, and, and she find that on because she's a great actor that was really in the moment, right? Yeah. And so it was an improvised line that came out of just an experiment on the cliff that I felt was way better than the script. And, and it was like, oh, that's a movie. That's, that's, that's going to be the story now. When originally it was slightly different, the reason. Um, so even an accident like that, which I, I like, when I watch the scene, I'm like, well, I like that answer. I like that answer. It's, it's a more complex. It makes you think, like, what does she mean by that? And, and, and instead of the other one, which was too literal, which was something, you know, like I was scared or something like that. Um, so little stuff like that, I, you know. That's why I'm talking, 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 because it, it, it gave me a thrill. It really allowed the movie to do that. Yeah. Your composer is the extremely talented Roque Benos, and I, I loved his themes in this picture. Um, this is your third collaboration with him, right? Yeah. Yeah, we have all the, all the movies together, yeah. Evil Dead, don't breathe in this one, yeah. Now, I noticed that um, in the end of Evil Dead, there is a piano piece at the very end, and there is also a solo piano piece at the end of Don't Breathe. And at this end of this film, the end credits, there's a solo piano piece. It sounded poorly played. Can you tell, anything, tell us anything about that? <laughs> because I play it myself. Oh, you played it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I did know that. You told me. You mentioned that to me. That's Thank cool. You. So you have it a does, real... It is poorly played compared with the, the, the actual players that we could afford. But we're in Los Angeles. We realized with Rocky, we, we didn't have... Um, uh, we didn't finish this time with a with a piano piece of the main theme, and uh, and um, so we're like, oh, what can we do? We cannot go back to Vienna and re-record. And we, if you cannot hire some a musician here in the guild, you, it's all these things. So it's like, I just play myself, and uh, just that's probably a loophole. And, and so I great. so I play myself in, instead of the movie. I love that piece. So you have a pretty good understanding of music. I know that you play a uh, guitar. I think you I play, play a lot of yeah, a lot harmonica? of instruments. Yeah, I play. No, you play harmonica. I do. Yeah, um, but um, you play piano beautifully. And um, thank you. What's it like with your relationship working with your composer? Do you? How, what's a spotting session like with Roque Banos? We we work very close together. I mean, we sit in front of the film, and uh, we have a piano. You know, piano in front of us, and and a lot of the conversations are are actually not in words; they're music. Because we both play, and, and, and um, so it becomes easier instead of saying, like, I just want something that is more emotional or more or in this key. I just, I just say, I just want more something, something that's more like. 
Wow. And he goes like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah. And he does Incredible. the better version of Kling, right? He just does a very professional version of that. But it's better when you can talk the same language of music. I think it just, um, it's easier, at least for me as a director, than, uh, than explain it. And we speak to each other in Spanish. So if it was in English, it would be even more limited. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, we, we really do it together. And, and he, allow, he has allowed me for that. And, and I'm eternally grateful to him because we, we sit together at the piano. We enjoy the pieces. We change things together. Or I move to the piano and I play it in a way that I think should be. Uh, and, and he reinterpreted that. So it's a really, it's a very close collaboration with him and um, the way we, we made the movies. Yeah. It worked beautifully in this film. The music was just fantastic. I, I love the intimate moments. I love when the action kicked in. There was a driving piece. And there's so many different um, feelings of the music, from intimate to you know grand. When uh, had those beautiful hel- was that a helicopter that when we're following the motorcycle into that tunnel toward the structure at the end? I don't know what to call that structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was so cool. Yeah, we did, we did, we shot the movie in Alexa 65, and we wanted all the aerial stuff in Stockholm to be actually Alexa 65, and and the the only way to put that camera somewhere it's uh, is in a helicopter because it's crazy heavy. And I did handheld hand camera in this movie with that camera, and I hurt my shoulder, and, and I'm in pain right now, literally, <laughs> because oh, still really? I still got a bad shoulder injury, like trying to just run around everywhere. And that, all those action sequences, I'm with the Alexa 65 on my shoulder, like wow. operated, it's just insane. I will never do it again. Have you always shot your own pictures? Portions um, of no, I, I used to, and on Evil Dead, I was like, I cannot do that. I mean, these people are way better than I am, and I, I'm not going to do it myself. And um, and then on Don't Breathe, I just did a little bit of it in, in some moments. And then on this one, I, I felt for the action stuff, uh, I, I, it was good to, for me to go back in it. And, and definitely the, the, the camera was way, way better than, than the director. It's always like that, but um, there's just that you'll be more precise in doing exactly what you want, I guess, if, if you do it. And I don't do it all the time. I just do it in some particular moments. Um, if, I, if, if the cameraman is fine with it, I always ask their permission. And my DP, if, if there's a shot particularly that I, that I want to take a stab at, they, they will go, sure, and, and I'll go for it. But I, I did a lot of it on this one, a lot of the action stuff and, um, and some cool. other parts where I, where I just want to be there myself with the actor. I want to be close to the actor and, and you know, almost be face-to-face with the actor. It's just it's a great thing to, to have the camera. But again, it's, like I was saying at the beginning, I love the craft of making the films and, and this, this movies, they, they, I realized in the first one that you, 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 they, they're designed in a way that if the director doesn't show up, stuff will get made anyways. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's uh, a good production will be designed in a way that if you're sick, they will shoot everything that needs to be shot that day in a way that will probably find terrible, but it doesn't matter. Like you know, the, the machine has to keep moving. So, so the, um, you, if, you dis, if, you, if the director wants to stay on their tent and never step out, you, you could, right? You'll talk through, I mean, I heard some directors do that, just talk through their AD and, and they communicate to set what they want and stay there. And I, I don't, I really have to be there physically and be w- with the actors and be on the floor, like looking up with the camera and like dragging myself through the mud with them and, and really be there physically. Otherwise I don't understand the story. Otherwise I wouldn't understand what the actor is going through if I'm not physically there. Right? Yeah. And, um, I know exactly what you mean. And shooting the picture as a director is really 
I've done that a few times, and you're really there then. I mean, you're in the scene. You're a participant. You're watching the actor. You're looking to see, does she make the exact proper eye line? Is she about to sit? Because we're going to sit, too, at that moment. And you're, you both go down together at that moment, and you're really connected physically with them in a way that directors outside the camera aren't. So I know how what you mean. You're it creates empathy also with the actor. I think you know the actor feels that you're not asking them to go through something that you're in your hot tent over there just telling me that you know, do it again. <laughs> Throw in the snow, fall in the snow, face down again. Go, action. Yeah. No, cut, do it again. It was terrible. Go again. Like, it's just, yeah, yeah. I don't think you get goodwill out of an actor. But when you're there, I mean, it, 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 it's always, I remember on Evil Dead, like I, I did one shot at some point and they were all drenched in blood in that sticky blood is the most disgusting thing that can get on you. And, and they did some gag and, and I get some blood on my hand. And I'm like, can I take the camera? And I'm like, fuck this shit. Man, like you should, oh man, like someone in the actor is like, look at me like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> I'm drenched in blood. How am I ever supposed to get to? But you, 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 you learned look how, you know, what it really means to be there and suffer what they suffer by, by being with them there. So I think it's a, it's a good lesson for us directors to, to lose the comfortable chair and, and be there. And I try to do that more and more every day. So you mentioned um, some intimate stuff with Roke, how uh, you guys sit at the piano together and feel out the sound of the scene. What happens when he goes away then, delivers a piece to you and plays it, and if it's not right, how, what, what is your communication with him about why it isn't right? Does it go back to music? Or is it more dialogue at that time? I, I think by the point it's more like what it does to the picture, right? Like what, uh, what it's uh, conveying. What, if it's still in the same story I'm trying to tell. Um, so sometimes it happens that suddenly, oh, which is just, just something becomes too plotty and it's distracting from what I want or it's not emotional enough or, or things like that. That made sense at the time. You know, all these things are based on, they made sense at the time. And um, when the first run or the first spot in, it made sense. And But, but what I did this time and I'd never done before and, and, and really served me in, in some levels was that we we had three sessions and we we kind of kept one in the back pocket. So we did most of the music on the first two sessions and then we had one a few like, weeks later. So I could um, go through all that and do things that we didn't like or we thought we could do better. Uh, we rewrote them and uh, I mean, Roque went again and wrote the pieces that we needed and, and went back to Vienna and, 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 and did an extra session there. So I, I think it's good to, and I, I, it is cheating for me. I, I, I have, maybe because I'm an idiot, but I don't reshoot. I really don't believe in it, which is stupid because reshoot is the best thing for any movie to just reshoot, watch it, change it. But I think it's just like cheating. Like, like the director sh should know what he's going to do and the time that he has and should make it work. And, uh, and, um, and I, you know, like I, there's many things in this movie. I, I wish I would reshoot, but, uh, but I, 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 I'll do that in the fourth movie, I guess. But in the other movies I've always been, I don't, I mean, as you know, I never reshoot on Evil Dead on Don't Breathe. I, I, I just really believe that my job is to finish on the time that, that I've been given and, 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 the and that's the challenge. As soon as I believe, well, I'll have more days later. I'll get, I'll get I'll have another shot at doing this. I, I, I think it's, um, it, it, will be, it will kind of corrupt my process. Um, so I really don't, as if it, with the music was the first time I did, like, you know what, maybe we, we do pass and then we go again and, and change what didn't work. But I, I really, 
it's part of I don't know it's something that is wrong with me I, I'll, I'll have to fix it in the next one and, and learn that if you can you know most great movies there you know 25% it's been reshot eventually Fanny you're from Uruguay that's where you were born and raised and you made your first sh many shorts there and you started your writing and directing career there can you give us um, a snapshot of what the film industry is like in Uruguay where I'm, I'm assuming there's a robust commercial in business there, uh, but what's the state of um, independent feature films? Is it alive? Yeah, they, they, there's they're like most part of the world. They're like funded by the government, and there's a um, two one or two, two or three pictures a year that that they make over there. Um, always, uh, you know, very independent and 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 small, and it always have to be about the culture, the country. Like usually, it's the, the definition of most. What you know, people that finance those movies, they will ask the film the filmmakers to do. So I, I never really. I mean, it's incredible that I'm, that I never that I managed to make my first films here. And I think I would have never been able to to make movies. I mean, who knows? But uh, but I what I was doing was completely made no sense for the, the shorts. I mean, you've seen them. They're they're the Great Panic Attack. They were more Hollywood esque than anything else, and um, so they kind of. I was kind of the black sheep in, in Uruguay in that way. Like they were like, what is this guy doing with these things? Like he doesn't, he's not aware that this is not Hollywood and and no one ever in the history of the country made it to Hollywood, so it's not gonna happen. And um, so, but you know, I was lucky enough that you love that short and, and you give me a chance to make a movie here. Otherwise we will be, I wouldn't be here sitting. Are you aware of other Uruguayan directors that have left Uruguay to come to Hollywood to make a success of themselves? I think you must know of... No one does it. No, it's not a thing. I mean, I think it's a part from... Not in Uruguay, in most part of the world. I mean, I don't think people do that. Do they? I mean, I'm sure they do it in America. Like, you know, you're a filmmaker in, in Wichita, and you go, okay, I'm, I'm going to Hollywood because people don't tell me I'm good at this. Um, but not in Uruguay, which is great, by the way. I mean, it's just something that... It, it, it's. I think it has served me well, the fact that, that I... That I, growing up making short films, I never thought it was a chance or a possibility to, to, to work in Hollywood. But to work, you know, to really even make films for a living. Um, it was good. I grew up thinking, if I do this, it's because I like it and that's it. And, and it's always going to be a hobby. And if I decide to keep doing this, I'm never going to have a penny. And I'm going to be broke all my life trying to make a movie. And it was a question, like, do you really like it enough to commit to that? And I said yes, since I was seven years old till, uh, till today. I keep saying yes. And, and so I think that here it happens a lot when I talk with students. It, there's a, it's a big distraction they, because, they, they, because they're in Los Angeles. It, it, it gives them the illusion that it's possible. And um, if they do the right short, if they do the right thing, they will get them through the door and they will get that deal. And, oh, man, and I think that will... That, that will uh, also corrupt your intentions of what you really want to do as a filmmaker and for me at least it helped me to be in Uruguay that there was zero chance like <laughs> less than zero because they had people that didn't even try I mean I couldn't ever afford a ticket to, to Los Angeles to well to go try I was lucky enough that someone like the short and flew me over um, but um, it's never it's never a possibility so you don't you stop thinking about it just to you just shoot and tell the stories that you can, how you can, and, and, and that's it. When you were starting out in Uruguay, what, what were the big roadblocks for you as a young filmmaker? What, what was difficult? Could you get the equipment or just, you couldn't, maybe you get the equipment, but had no, not enough 
of the right crew or actors? Or? Well, we, you know, we we had a super eight, uh, not not the super eight, the actual super eight, uh, the the VHS that we call super eight VHS, which is this kind of tape, you know, small tape. Yeah. Um, and we just, we edit on camera. We just we just that's all we had, and that's all we needed. We just told stories. Uh, I learned to listen to the engine of the little thing when when I caught the thing did a little. It was the that was the sound. I still remember the melody that it did. How the tape on my ear will rewind because depending, you know, how late on the tape are you when you when you pause. It will rewind more because the, just the reel is bigger, so it turns and it will suck more tape back wow. into the side, right? But wow. if you're at the beginning, it's smaller. So if you really want to learn how to cut in to edit in <laughs> camera, and you want the cut to be in the right place, you have yeah. to learn how to listen to that and know, yeah. based on the sound, how many frames oh it has if it has rewind itself. And I will get into all that and and really learn to to make the whole film. It was short, so it was like 10 minutes shorts, but still, like to really make every cut work like that. And, and, and because otherwise, it wouldn't have made, I didn't have any way to cut. Yeah. It was a big leap when I managed to put music on something because I had to go to a friend's house, take the VHS from their house before the parents come back and run home and, and, do, and put the tape on one with an RSA cable and, and play music from a tape recorder. It managed to put the music on top of the other thing. It was we had no money and no resources of whatsoever. I mean, the everything we did was kind of borrow it or, or, try, or really taken from our parents before they came back uh, from work because they wouldn't allow us. I mean, they, that camera we used it was from a friend's house and from a friend's parent, and he would never allowed him to take it to take a used a camera. I bumped into him recently, uh, and I'm big in Uruguay uh, now. When I go with a movie, like everyone was half oh, in his movie, and I, and I told him, you know, I made a career on your camera that you'd never let your your son use. And he was like so proud. <laughs> now he was like, if it was up to you, would have never let us use it. So it was always against. It was always a you know everything was a roadblock in a way, right? But um, but we for us it's always been the motto which someone said once and I, I repeat it is like it's, it's not about who's going to let you it's about who's going to stop you like from doing it and and i have been always trying to, you know just doing 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 did that short you run me here keep doing and 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 so far so good we made three movies can't believe it in five years incredibly impressive well i've got one last question for you and that is for our young filmmakers out in the audience tonight do you have any advice for them? Advice? No, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think all the things that I've been saying, I think the, the main thing here for people that are in Los Angeles is to kind of forget about Hollywood. You just don't think about it. I didn't think about getting hired or doing as a work because it will corrupt everything. It would just, it would just misguide you. It would, it would, it, because I, a lot of people that, when I talk with filmmakers here, they, the main question is like, what should I do to get through the door? I'm like, that question, it, it's so wrong on its own, right? Like, what should you do? I mean, you should tell me what you do. And like, no, and it, it shouldn't come from anybody else but yourself that pure instinct of wanting to tell a story with a camera and 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 you cannot stop until you do it right and um and you want to at least for me it was always about i want to do something and impress some people just show them you know look what we've done and entertain them and and um and that's the only thing that counts and, and i think here there's too many distractions uh, the whole idea of um it's so close they can touch it right it's so close they can touch it it's there it's the, the director's leaving the same city. It's right there. It's, 
I, I, no, no, I will go mad if I'm if I'm a young filmmaker. But I think if you, if you're faithful to what you really want to do and just tell the stories that you want to do and 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 also develop the craft. The, the problem with this that I've discovered too is. Th- it, the idea of the director, something magic about the ones, you know, the talented ones, Stanley Kubrick, those guys, they, they were born with the gift, uh, you know, and, 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 and I don't believe in that. I, I just believe there's, it's a craft like anything else and you learn by doing it. And a lot of people, writers, it happens a lot of that with young writers as well. As long as they haven't done it, they have the benefit of the doubt that maybe they are geniuses, right? That maybe they have the gift. But it's not until you write it that you will know if you if you have it or not. And and I, I see a lot of fear to, also in young filmmakers to to really dare to go and do that other short or like to really go in there and write because that might spoil it for them that they don't have the gift because someone might see it and go like yeah I was just think it wasn't too good or my high voice them and go like yeah it's really good yeah. <laughs> Which is the worst. Um, so it, it's, it, it's it, they're scared of that. So they do very little. I mean, people send me shorts sometimes and they put it in Vimeo and they put a password. I'm like, are you crazy? Put a password in it? Just, are you trying to hide it from people? Like, you don't want people to access it? You want to share it to the world? Like, put it there, put it everywhere. Like, it doesn't matter. And I think, is that that fear of like, oh, maybe they you know, this one, the next one will be better. Or like, and, and I think you have to do and do and do and do it. I mean, I've been lucky being able to be in this since I was very, very young and, and have, have spent all my teen years not going out and, and not dating many girls and just being with my friends, like all boys, like with the camera, like telling stories. So I, I've been lucky of developing the craft by doing it. And that's all it is, I think. And then eventually, yeah, you have, people have the gift of like having something to say, I think, or, or really having a point of view in the world that is unique but but the the craft itself you just learn by doing it i think it's just you have to do more there's no excuse to say you have a phone in your in your pocket you have a camera to tell them to, to make a movie really well um thank you so much freddie i'd, I'd like to sure. thank uh, the directors guild of america for allowing us the theater and the opportunity to see the film tonight and um sony pictures for giving us the digital print and to this great director, my good friend, uh, Fetty Alvarez, for his incredible uh, skill and expertise. Thank you. Thank you, you you you, folks. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll have a lot more for you in the coming weeks, including Q&As from directors Susie Unessi, Karen Kusama, and Rob Marshall. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow cinephiles find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.